I think what sustains you really is the absolute joy and love of the work that you do. And what stems from that is the respect that's given, but most importantly is the respect that you must give back. Welcome to White Noise, the podcast of the Indigenous Law and Justice Hub. This podcast was recorded at the MLF Digital Studio on Wurundjeri Country in Nam. We offer our deepest respect to Elders past and present, emerging leaders and all Indigenous people listening on this continent and around the world. We encourage you to take a moment to reflect on whose country you are listening on and learning from today. I'm Jenea Dwyer the lucky convener of this podcast. I'm a non-Indigenous woman who has the pleasure of learning alongside you at the Indigenous Law and Justice Hub through these conversations and many others. Today, we have the pleasure of listening to an absolute masterclass on what it is to be an ethical and impactful lawyer in Australia today. Joined by Judge David Woodruff, better known with great affection in legal circles as Woody, Judge Woodruff shares his insights over a long career working alongside Aboriginal people as the Principal Legal Officer of the North Australian Aboriginal Justice Agency, known as NAJA, prior to his appointment as a judge of the Northern Territory Local Court. You rarely hear people working in the criminal legal system, or the legal system more generally describe it as a joy, as Woody does. In putting this episode together, I was thinking about how it's so important to hear lawyers, especially criminal lawyers, reflecting regularly about the joy of representing people and the privilege. I hope that this podcast will help you connect with your purpose for working to support justice. Let's take a listen. Welcome, David. We're so excited to be joined by you today. Well, thank you, Janae, and thank you for that very warm welcome. So, as always, is our first question on this podcast. Please tell us who you are, who your mob is, and what are the values that drive you and your work? Well, thank you for that question, because that really is, the, I think, the most important question there is about who you are. But it's like with everyone, who you are is who your family is and where you're from and your connections to your family and country. So my, my journey, as with, as with many other people, journey begins with family history, and particularly with my uh, grandmother's uh, removal um, from, as a member of the Stolen Generation from a place called uh, Newcastle Waters, and that was on uh, her traditional country at um, around a place called Elliot. That's sort of halfway between Alice Springs and, mm-hmm. and, and Darwin. So she she was um, removed to a place called Carlin Compound, which was in the 1920s in Darwin. A very long way away. A very long way away. Mm -hmm. And then equally um, for her, um, um, when Darwin was being bombed in 1942, she was evacuated on the back of trucks. She was pregnant with my dad, and my dad was born in a place called Burden, which is just south of Catherine, Mm -hmm. and he was in the mission from the beginning of his life. So the relevance of that and how that's shaped shaped them and shaped me is really, you know, the main reason why I went into the law, you know, the importance of the silent generation as it was to my dad and family and how they grew up and their friends and that 
close connection that they all had together. Um, but also for me to go into the law because that was my thing is that I didn't want this ever to happen again and didn't mm. want to ever happen to sort of my family, etc. So I've always been passionate about it. I remember always being passionate um, in at university and I can remember in a class of 100-odd law students and it was a great thing. It was kind of like a careers day. People were saying, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? And all this sort of stuff. And I just wanted to work for Aboriginal people. And I've had the fortune and the blessing of um, having a career to have done that over um, many, many years throughout the Northern Territory and into other states, such as in working in Kimberley and uh, in Kalgoorlie as well, and finding the great connections between Aboriginal people from um, the Northern Territory and other states and other places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You talked about those family motivations to become a lawyer. What were your impressions of what lawyers did before you became a lawyer? I always find this interesting because mine were way off. (laughs) Well, well, it's it's hard to think back. I mean, it it was that sort of, I think all Aboriginal people want and and still want 100% is um, is we're constantly striving for justice Mm. and fundamental sort of things like equality, human rights, decency, and respect. Mm -hmm. So being a lawyer was sort of seeing that. And and I suppose, but who was, was there any frame of reference? No, there was no one that, you know, who was a lawyer, no relations, didn't grow up like other mobs, sort of like, you know, dad's a lawyer, family's a lawyer, Mm -hmm. come from the family firm. I mean, I always remember sort of the uni at Darwin was very nice because it was actually the university was on where Carlin Compound was. Wow. So it was actually a, a former old old Darwin hospital, which then on the mission site when we were. So it had quite significance yeah. <laughs> to be there. Um, but I always sort of remember, and I always think back, even now for many Aboriginal law students sort of thing, but I remember back then it was sort of like you're going to lectures and there'd be all these kids who'd be rocking up in their dad's gold BMW mm-hmm. and just like all Aboriginal mob being shame and sitting down at the back row. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you, and know, you were there yeah. with our own Dr. Yeah. Eddie Cavillo, that, I that's believe. Right. <laughs> yeah. So so um, you know, it's 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 that being different but having that different perspective and you know, and then I think the other thing was really what grows out of that is seeking out your own mob. And, and not not necessarily the exclusion of everyone else and not participating fully. But I think sort of going through that same sort of experiences with other Aboriginal law students and undergraduates and, and really have, do become and have become your lifelong friendships. Mm-hmm. And you take that same journey through university, that same journey through your legal career. So, you know, uh, I've got to say these names because we're all together. So Eddie Cavillo, Nick Espy, Charlena Musk. So mm-hmm. these these are people who and you may think about that, may not think about now, who will be in supporting you through your career, your journey, not just in the months but in the years mm-hmm. and even into the decades. <laughs> so if everyone to know that. So um, make friends. Your friends are the, the best support because I think there's that true understanding of what you're going through, the true understanding about how uh, the law is confronting mm. 
how the law and many of its structures and systems are negative in, in the way that it's all, it's, you know, it's either blind in respect of the, the issues that Aboriginal people face. So, so dealing with that and providing the support about even in that sort of first thing you're doing, in introductory things around terra nullius and all these sort of things and how mm. that just those very first sort of concepts are confrontational for many Aboriginal people and they're distressing and upsetting because when you think about those sort of things. But having the support of others, being passionate to understand and to learn but also to challenge and have your own perspective. And you've now been working almost 30 years in the legal system, specialising in criminal defence work. You've been the principal legal officer of the North Australian Aboriginal Justice Agency. People might know that as NAJA. And you're now a judge. What's kept you working in the criminal legal system? And what change have you seen in the system in the Northern Territory over this time? I think what sustains you mm. um, and it sustains you whether you're an Aboriginal legal advocate or you're or an advocate really is the absolute joy and love of the work that you do and that joy and love of the work comes from that joy and love of connecting with Aboriginal people and having the the greatest opportunity of being and working for Aboriginal people, being in communities, having and receiving the absolute 100%, the generosity of Aboriginal people to uh, teach, educate, show and and kindness. And what stems from that is that is the respect that's given, but most importantly is the respect that you must give back and give back to Aboriginal people in, in the way that you engage with a person, how you engage with a family, a community, and that generosity and kindness is, is really what sustains you. It sustains you through hard times, sad times, difficult times, stressful times. And if you see that joy and respect in others, really it's that's what sort of reciprocates you. You're reciprocating it sort of back. The consistency is, is that kindness, generosity, respect, and of Aboriginal people in communities, the privilege of going to communities and the beauty of not just the land but um, the opportunities to learn. So that's that's been a, a consistent over many, many years and, and I, I don't think that could ever change because that is an Aboriginal way of doing things. I mean, there are legal things that have changed over the many decades, you know, uh, in the very early days. Um, um, we're not talking... Many, many years ago, but, you know, in the early 2000s, there was no interpreter service mm. available for the 50-odd uh, language, languages that are spoken by Aboriginal people in, in courts in the Northern Territory. So seeing the creation of um, the most skilled experts of Aboriginal language speakers and uh, their participation and the most importantly thing, which is informing but more so more importantly the empowering of Aboriginal people to not be part of the justice system but to participate, to have opportunities, to be allowed to have the conscious ability to make informed decisions. And for me, the, that, that has been the greatest thing that's, that's happened over, over these many decades 
which is Aboriginal language speakers. And Aboriginal language speakers are so integral to the justice system in all areas of, of law, but most importantly for being a legal advocate, is ensuring that a person understands in their own language and is able to make that informed decision and to understand fundamental questions about sort of understanding what's occurring, participating and, and making a decision. Because ultimately, the language speaker is the most important central person in the court. You've worked at the Aboriginal Legal Service mm. and been involved for a long time now, and they have a really proud history. Could you mm. describe the work of Naja and why you wanted to work there? The most important thing about Naja and its sister organisations and other states is, again, is its history. Naja was set up in the early 1970s by three Aboriginal families, by Aboriginal women, recognising the situation that existed before. And what existed before is that Aboriginal people had no legal representation. They would go from the police cells to the courts and to jail or whatever, but there was no legal representation. And its, its history and its involvement comes from the community. And for me, that's always been the mainstay because it's an Aboriginal organisation created by Aboriginal people and it's necessary for Aboriginal people. It's a new, unique organisation because it is has an understanding and a learning, but also understanding that there are two systems of law that operate in the Northern Territory, Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal. And recognising that people live in this other world. And, um, and it's the interactions with, um, you know, Bolland law, white law, that sees Aboriginal people entering this in, in what is, in, in many respects, is, is alien to many Aboriginal people about how the legal system works, how, um, how courts function, how policing and incarceration all happens. So NAJA and Aboriginal Legal Aids, Legal Aid Services, and I should also say Aboriginal Women's Legal Services are so critical because of the the history, the uniqueness of the work and the knowledge that happens, but also importantly, it's I think fundamentally it's about the respect that people in both of those services do community. It's a community-driven organisation. It's respected communities. It's it's about making sure that that it's not just the legal matter. It's it, it's about helping the person, it's about supporting the person through the process, it's about education, it's about supports, looking at the vulnerabilities of people, the multi, the multi-dimensional sort of issues that Aboriginal people face. It's just not a legal problem. Mm. It's More a housing holistic, pro- hey? It's 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 a, you know, it's a yeah, housing issues, there's health issues, there's justice issues. Each of them are competing on the person's needs and it's about actually looking about how to provide those supports in each of those sort of areas. But also, fundamentally, it's about empowerment. And what comes from that? It means making time. It means being present in people, engaging with people, traveling hundreds and hundreds of kilometers to go to communities Mm -hmm. to be there, and being available, and also taking the time, you know, things such as ensuring that the the use of interpreters for language speakers, 
ensuring that you are doing things that are uh, uh, culturally appropriate in the way that you engage with people, how you engage, and uh, in not just in communities, but also how you do that in court, and the way that you can be um, respectful in a court setting as well as in a community setting as well. And I think, you know, Aboriginal legal services have really been, yeah. you know, doing that for a long time. I think other mm. legal services are probably catching up now around mm. more, you know, holistic, yeah. person-centred support. At, at the heart of these organisations and is, is really it's Aboriginal people and it's Aboriginal staff who are not just lawyers but secretaries, field officers who are who are virtually right now doing custody notification services, are doing sh- shift work, who are working 24 hours, seven, seven days a week. And it's because they're passionate and caring about not just for their family but their own community. And it's that love and affection and care of Aboriginal staff is, is what has seen the continuation of these organisations over 50 years. They're running on a lot of determination yeah, and exactly. hard work. <laughs> and could I ask you, some of our listeners might not have heard about custody notification yes. and what that is. The custody notification services is a key recommendation that came out of the well, Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody and recognising the vulnerabilities that Aboriginal people face whilst in police custody but in other forms of custody in relation to other places where there's places of confinement. In a number of jurisdictions, this new service has come in and, and really it is focused upon the looking, ensuring the health and safety and the welfare of an Aboriginal person or child whilst they're in custody. And that does mean um, access, communication, health and safety, Uh, checks and communications, but I think most importantly, again, this is something that is led by Aboriginal staff. It's led by Aboriginal people in that communication of breaking through communication barriers, but equally it's that understanding of the person and the trauma that a person can encounter whilst they're in custody, but ensuring that people are safe, connected to a person whether by telephone, but also connected to family outside of that custody environment, that someone is okay. But also, as I understand it in Northern Territory, it's also about ensuring when a person comes out of custody about referrals to support services that help people get um, into housing or if there's uh, health issues or getting someone safe back to community. So... It shows again that it's that in Aboriginal perspective that need to support others. Yeah. Yeah. So really one of the many things that ALS was doing going beyond direct legal mm. support. To most people, including me, the idea of representing someone in court is really scary. Um, public speaking, let alone the you know extraordinarily high stakes. How would you describe your approach to advocacy and how has this matured over time? It continues to be the greatest privilege in the world mm. to um, to act and represent uh, an Aboriginal person. What really does come from that is is ensuring the respect to the person, and it really does mean putting in the time and effort, but particularly around engaging with the person and engaging in a way that you are respectful. And, and the best description I've ever 
heard from uh, an old Aboriginal field officer was talking about how a good advocate is is someone who speaks from the heart and not the hip pocket. Mm-hmm. So if you're genuine and kind and caring, but most and also importantly, you're willing to listen, and you're willing to listen from the person uh, in obtaining instructions, obtaining their story. Uh, and ensuring that they're what I call is really a person's authentic voice as part of your legal representation. You are there to help someone through the, to make those informed decisions, to perhaps speak on their behalf, but it's not your voice that is speaking. You are speaking through um, your instructions, through their voice and their knowledge, their perspective, their worldview. There's, there's a real necessity I think, to be an ethical advocate, but ethical advocate on behalf of Aboriginal people, which is understanding the history that Aboriginal people have encountered, not just in systems of laws, but in daily life, historically, in the past and presently and on an ongoing basis. So having that grounding and that understanding, being respectful, having the voice of the person, understanding the complexity person's situation when there's many competing demands on the person, not just health issues, uh, justice issues, housing issues, all the myriad of things that pressures that people have Mm -hmm. and magnifying that a hundred times whilst if someone's in custody. But most importantly, I think, is uh, being genuine, time and that connection to a person. Those are ways that I, I always think that a, a lawyer or a person or a caseworker or support worker is that you are striving for justice for this person mm-hmm. and you and the actions and the choices and the things that you do, you can make justice or you can make a better outcome or a more informed decision outcome or uh, uh, an outcome that is less traumatic or, or, you know, or, you know and you can, you've got the conscious ability to do that. What was your learning journey over time as an advocate? How did you kind of change your approach to live out those values more? I think it's, there are aspects that are, uh, are lived experiences. I, I, I think there are also so much that you learn from, the, as I said, I've talked about the generosity of Aboriginal people and, and that's the generosity of other uh, Aboriginal advocates. That's lovely. Uh, Aboriginal field officers have been working for many, many years before I started, you know, Arnie Kate, you know, these most powerful law women who are able to, um, um, who are absolutely fantastic. Um, so it is that constant learning. I think what you learn is is, is never assume that you know everything. Mm. And I, I think that your, your your journey of knowledge and understanding what you know at two years, five years, ten years, twenty years, etc., is so so much more. But I think it is a continuous sort of learning experience. And, and, and that's what I think is so important is the learning. But equally, it's the mentoring Then you can start sharing what you know or learning or, or at the very least sort of um, showing people the ways that you can do things that are differently. But I, I think it's everyone's individual journey, but you can sort of sh- show ways of examples of doing things. Yeah. That leads nicely into my next question, which is about new lawyers. And 
As a manager, Naja, you would have seen a lot of lawyers coming from down south, perhaps from this law school, arriving um, quite new to the environment and cultures of the territory. Imagining you are back introducing those lawyers um, to the territory and its legal system, how would you sum up some of the key distinctive aspects of the criminal legal system in the territory as opposed to other jurisdictions and what new lawyers in this environment need to be thinking about? as an effective advocate. Well, thank you for that, because um, definitely you've done <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of, memories, yeah. of um, inductions about, about this very sort of topic. And, and generally what I do speak about is probably two of the key things that I've spoken so far about, which is the absolute importance of language mm. and the use of interpreters uh, and the importance of ensuring that a person is able to uh, be informed and understand, participate and make, make those sort of decisions. So language is so important. Equally, I think besides language is really about that continuation of communication is also issues around uh, sign language and disabilities. So when we think of the concept of uh, well, the existence of sign language, there's Auslan, which is the universal Australian sign language. When we think about sign languages in um, Aboriginal communities, there's, uh, you know, there's over 500 around the nation. And this, this sign language, how that can even be to the level of a particular community, a particular family. So th there's so much more that you can learn and uh, understand and do things particularly differently. So that's probably two immediate sort of things around communication. The next issue obviously then would be around the issues that I've spoken to about respect and being genuine in the work and the work that you do. But what makes a really good advocate is is really, I think there, there are three key things that make a good advocate. I, I see it as really it's, it's a it's a triangle, okay. This is a tri <laughs> triangle of gold. <laughs> and, um, so there's a triangle of three sort of key limbs. So there's legal skill and proficiency. Mm -hmm. There's being culturally appropriate on the second, and thirdly, um, it's being trauma informed. Mm -hmm. Now, you can be even on having the skills in one one area of those sort of things or even in two, two areas. So if you're trauma-informed and a proficient lawyer, but if you're, making, if you're not culturally proficient in your skills and culturally aware, well, you don't want that to be a, a negative experience for an Aboriginal person going through the system. Or if you're legally proficient and culturally aware, but you're trauma, there's a traumatising sort of process. So you really have to be sort of looking at all of these key aspects of the way that you represent a person and being an advocate. Mm -hmm. So it is crucial and critical to be um, trauma-informed. It's critical and crucial to be uh, culturally appropriate. And, and obviously, as a lawyer, to be skilled as a legal advocate. So you need to bring all of those skills. But as I say, they're a continuing, it's a continuing journey of learning. It's, it's a continuing uh, journey of being um, I don't think we can ever, anyone can ever be proficient. I think you have that continuation to learn, to follow through with those 
those issues, and particularly in all aspects of way that you advocate for a person, whether that's in, in bringing it to bear in your client engagement, instructions, the way you uh, represent a person in court, how you deal them with the, you know, post-sentencing, how do you then sort of then deal with, um, importantly, the way that you debrief and communicate with um, your client and family after that. So it's that whole continuum of doing that, but also really, really sort of focusing on that. So that comes, as I say, through observation. It comes from life experience. It comes through um, listening and learning. And, you know, these these are sort of skills that you, uh, just by, you know, by observing other people. Observe, observe those good advocates. Observe and talk with your Aboriginal colleagues. Learn, as I learned, from great field officers mm -hmm. and and, um, and other people who already uh, work in, uh, in the justice sector and, and things of that nature. So those are the things I think really make a great advocate. The other really distinctive aspect of Naja's service delivery is that you're covering a huge geographic area in many remote settings. Could you tell people sitting, you know, here from Melbourne about remote service delivery, how it plays out and some of the dynamics and the way the justice system works in those settings? Well, that, that's the most, I think, fundamental and uniqueness of whether that's in the Northern Territory working, um, whether that's in um, places such as in Western Australia with, you know, vast geographic distances, Queensland, you know, uh, New South Wales, et cetera, and, and South Australia. It, it really, I mean, some if you think about sometimes travelling to a, a remote court or generally it's what's called in the Northern Territory as a bush court, mm -hmm. you know, and these are journeys of sometimes that are 800 kilometres, 1,100 kilometres, a day's travel, et cetera. So there's these vast geographic distances. There's things that then, things around, also around seasonal, things, you know, wet season, dry season, mm. you know, the floods. I mean, as we all Western Australia has experienced just recently in the Northern Territory, roads are impassable, so getting to the court. But most importantly, it's so important to be having that outreach and being in community because it's so important to be on the ground, it's so important to be there, to be available, not, not just this sort of um, fly in, fly out sort of justice, but mm -hmm. the time to be there. And I, th I think also it's really important is, is that sort of adjusting to community life. So being present, being available, but being available when it's possible that a person can do that. That is the joy of, um, I think, Aboriginal Legal Aids and places such as Nature. It's the great, great sort of experiences going to all the different communities. Each community is different. Each interaction, each occasion, each month is different. And what I have seen of many, many sort of lawyers, their experiences of coming together, travelling uh, five hours in, uh, in a car, travelling in a light aircraft, going through, <laughs> you know, um, to a community sort of thing. And that's what people remember is that people remember these really these are bonding experiences that people have. And, you know, um, talking to many lawyers now here in Melbourne, um, still sort of reminisce and think about those sort of great things. And that's that's what shapes people. And it, it's not just, I, I don't think it's that sort of thing about that common experience of dealing with 
stress and hard work and difficulties and remoteness and you know you know flies or whatever sort of thing but it's mm. but it's it's that common experience and enjoy and being in an Aboriginal community 99% of um, young lawyers who work in a, in the Northern Territory are from down south mm-hmm. so in many of their instances this is literally their first occasion that they've met an Aboriginal person it's the first occasion they've been to an Aboriginal community so it's such a, a rich, enriching thing, and these these will be their experiences for in the main for the most of their life. So that's incredibly important, and as, as I keep stressing, is the generosity of Aboriginal people in communities, and the you know whether you're down at the footy oval, the basketball uh, court, or you know while playing, or there's the community disco happening, or there's the sports day, and as I always sort of stress, you know, we have to be part of the community. That means, you know, be there, do the court, but equally take the time to be part of the community. Go and watch the footy. You know, go to the best ever, um, you know, when there's the discos or the community bands are going yeah. or, or um, you know, the cultural days and sports days. So um, I, I really hope people immerse themselves about and what, what I think it does is that it becomes this sort of wellspring that many young advocates will come along and this will be the experiences that they treasure. But but they, it's so important that they're getting an understanding of Aboriginal people. Hmm. And that's not, uh, and it's a real understanding, it's a true understanding. It doesn't happen in the courtroom. <laughs> it doesn't happen in the courtroom. It doesn't happen on social media. It doesn't happen in the news. Hmm. But, you know... Uh, they will have their own experiences and their own, you know, it's more, you just wish more and more people in the justice system could see that. But, and that's why it's the best job in the world. It's the best ever job in the world um, to be a, a lawyer or a support worker or a field officer, to be a lawyer in a remote Aboriginal community. You're the first Aboriginal person to become a judge in the Northern Territory, recently appointed, sworn in in the middle of last year, What's the steepest learning curve stepping into this role? What I've kind of realised is that it's sort of been your life journey has reached. Everything that you've done, Mm. learnt, experienced has all come to this sort of focal point to engage and undertake this sort of new role. And I I think it's all the things that I've learnt in working for Aboriginal people and with Aboriginal people has given me the skills to now embark on this new position in this new role. And what I have loved about it, it's helped me to change from being a defence lawyer to think differently. So mm-hmm. I love I love that about thinking differently. I still love the issues around communicating and connecting, but now I have the privilege of communicating and connecting with it, all persons that come before the court, all people who engage with the city system so i think it's the realization of the, what you've learned as a lawyer and what you've learned for on behalf of aboriginal people is is given me now the strength and the skills to engage with all people what are some of the really tangible ways that aboriginal knowledge and perspectives can be incorporated into the courtroom there, there are many many sort of aspects and i think it's now an opportunity i think really it's it's one of firstly of being able to listen mm. and hear 
and think and engage from my perspective and understanding there are things that we need to be thinking about the importance of Aboriginal knowledge and Aboriginal worldviews. Uh, and for me, many things such as, you know, the importance of country mm-hmm. and country within the justice system and the legal system of things, and perhaps it may be best illustrated by, by an example and talking about that. So we, we think about many things with, we think about uh young children and we think about adolescence and we think about the stress of adolescence and the uncertainty that many young adolescents go through and and when you're talking then expanding that around social disadvantage and um, problems that people that encounter with young people coming in contact with the justice system but the most nurturing supportive and certainty in all Aboriginal people's life, but uh, and also for young children, is that connection to country. Mm. That that is the absolute certainty that a person has. So, how do we think about country then in a legal perspective, and how can we think about country in a court perspective and a justice sort of perspective? Are there ways that we can start thinking about bail, about going back to country? Mm-hmm. that people are going back to country rather than house numbers or lot numbers or this or these sort of different sort of constructs. But the the nurture and the support that country gives someone, so I, I see this great sort of things that, are, that are, are not just rehabilitative around country. I think uh, there are things that are nurturing and there are ways that as the pathway out of incarceration mm-hmm. is, you know, getting on bail, getting people back into community, getting people on country, uh, healing, you know, giving families the supports to be on country, that they're they're the things that I would love to see more happening. Thank you so much, Woody. You make these really complex things feel so clear. Practising law in the federal legal system in the Northern Territory, like Mm. many other parts of Australia, involves encountering the practice of Aboriginal law and spirituality. For people who aren't familiar, can you please share some examples of the ways that this multiplicity of legal systems and belief systems influence criminal practice? As I've um, sort of sort of alluded to a little bit earlier about you as a, a practitioner in the Northern Territory and in other states, about that in- intersection between two different worlds, mm-hmm. and that's two different worlds of culture, language, laws. Mm-hmm. and also spirituality. And it's very important that when engaging with a person is understanding that, being receptive for the reception of that information, where it's volunteered, obviously, um, it's also understanding the differences that people um, have, um, respecting around the spirituality and uh, religiosity that people have and around the importance of land, culture and dreaming uh, and also how that can be so important and critical in the way that a person is represented. Equally, I think that's important to do that because you're, um, you're engaging with a person and connecting with the person on 
a different level between client and lawyer or advocate or it is saying that you are more than just this snapshot on this particular day, this offence or this issue. You're more than just this legal issue. You are this person. You are this person um, who is connected to country. You are this person who speaks language. You have this person with a spiritual um, being and this in, uh, is your life and this is th- these are the things. And, and they are equally relevant than just a legal matter. And to appreciate that, to understand that, to engage with that uh, is, is so important. And it's also such the richness of the work that you do that are those, those privileges and those insights that you're able to receive. And finally, what advice would you have for young lawyers about maintaining their happiness, hope and their determination? I hope that this um, podcast has sort of shown a little bit of the thrill, the yeah. enjoyment and the love of this type of work. And I can honestly say from the first day to the very last day, the very last day was very sad. Mm. Um, but um, it's it's such a uniqueness. It's such a, a, a pleasure to do this work, to meet Aboriginal people, to engage with Aboriginal people to travel to the most beautiful parts of the country. But seeing people through the strength and the resilience in sometimes can be the worst of occasions and mm-hmm. worst of circumstances. And sharing and seeing and, and experiencing through friends, through um, the, the sharing of knowledge from community, through the uh, sharing of respect by you and showing that respect to others is really what um, has made sort of like a a lifelong sort of commitment. And I think everyone I'd encourage, whether that's in even the territory and I'm, you know, the (laughs) territory, but I I, I think it's the most unique legal job in this country. Mm. And if that's something that you're passionate about making a real meaningful change for justice if you want to make a meaningful change to way how things are for Aboriginal people that is all within you and that's within every single person and with every single person who does this and every single person who's trauma-informed culturally proficient and can make a meaningful difference for that individual or that family or that community is how the justice system can transform to be a place of safety and healing for Aboriginal people throughout the country. Woody, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to learn from you today. Oh, thank you. No, it's been absolutely lovely. That's all from Woody and I today. Thank you for listening to White Noise. More information is in the show notes on our website. We'd love to hear your feedback on this episode. Thanks for listening.